in Jesus and the life we have in the Holy Spirit and the confidence we have in his promises, we do not lose heart. Now, maybe after two weeks of school for some of you, that's God's word to you. Don't lose heart. I remember sitting in fifth grade counting up on my fingers how many years I had before I graduated from college. It was seven. No, before I graduated from high school, it was seven more years. And I remember losing heart because I did not like school. Seven more years, not knowing it would be nine more right after that. Then I remember studying for my PhD oral prelims in engineering and, and studying night and day. And it was like, Bradford, do not lose heart. Some of you just turned 30 years old. Don't lose heart. You think you're hopelessly old. Some of you just turned 90. I wrote a birthday card to someone who just turned 90 last week. Don't lose heart. And some of you have been watching the news this week. I mean, there is a crisis everywhere we're listening, we're looking. And everything we're listening to is crisis after crisis right now. And the word, I'm just praying the word of the Lord would just resonate do not lose heart, because he's at the center of it all. Since we have God's mercy, through God's mercy, we have this ministry, we have this new situation in Christ, therefore we do not lose heart. For Paul, he would be saying this because he was physically being beaten up by people outside the church, and he was emotionally being beaten up by people inside the church for reasons that will become clearer as we go through this letter. And he says, but we do not lose heart. And he's going to say the same thing right at the end of chapter 4 as well. And all along the way, I picked out, you could pick out more, I picked out just four reasons that we don't lose heart. And, and first of all, this is where he'll, he'll get to uh, right out of the gate after saying we do not lose heart. He'll say we do not lose heart because... The battle that we're all in, that battle is spiritual. It's not personal. And the more you can depersonalize things in this battle we're in, the less likely you're going to lose your heart. Look how he puts it right here. And verse 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. For the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. We sang, Jesus, you're the center of it all. But there's a spiritual battle going on in which some people absolutely do not get it. Maybe you're sitting here today. You do not get this. You think we're crazy. It's because there's, there's a spirit of the age, a God of this world. There's spiritual blindness and darkness, demonic power, whose agenda is to deconstruct faith in people and blind their eyes from the truth of who really Jesus is. This is the battle that we're facing. And so the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But when I understand I'm in a spiritual battle, I can depersonalize this a little bit. I, I, I don't need to take opposition and setbacks personally because I, I realize that, 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 hey, there's going to be things that make me want to lose heart because I'm in a spiritual battle. It's not fun to get shot at. It's not fun to have setbacks. I remember being a graduate student at the University of Minnesota, and, and, and my engineering friends, we were all hanging out in the lounge at, at a break or something, and 
That day, they decided to gang up on me. They, 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 they started confronting me about my faith. There was not another believer in that room. These were very smart PhD students from all over the world, including one of my best friends in that department who, who got caught up in it and just joined in, and they just started making fun of me. They laughed at me. They, they made me feel like about an inch high, and I was, there was no one to stand with me. I was the only believer there, and I want to tell you, you can lose heart. When, when you just feel like you're all alone, and increasingly, I feel this in our nation, we're, we're in a shrinking minority of, of, of people in our nation that think we're absolutely crazy, but I want to tell you, I, you don't have to personalize that. I, 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 my feelings were hurt, but I didn't walk away devastated because I just realized this is the battle that we're in. Jesus himself said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you as well. So we don't need to take opposition and setbacks personally because we're in a war. This, this comes with the territory. Don't be too shocked about it. Don't crumple. Don't go, oh, I must be not a good Christian. Oh, you know, I, I, I must not be able to pray like everybody else. I mean, this is not the time to crumple. This is not the time to cave into that kind of spiritual insecurity we talked about last week. This is the time just to be realistic. We, we don't give up heart because we know we're in a battle. But what we do get to do is keep on leaning on the work of the Holy Spirit. Say the pressure's on him, not on me. We keep on leaning on the work of the Holy Spirit. The very famous pastor and preacher, Francis Chan, he said, this became very real to me. He said, this became really real to me when I realized that my teenage daughter no longer loved Jesus. And he said, I'd stay up awake at night just crying out to God. I'd weep, I'd bawl, I'd cry out to God. And, and I'm going, here, here I am. I'm famous for being a great communicator. And yet there is not a thing I could do to make my teenage daughter start to love Jesus. So, so he writes, I pray, God, either your spirit comes into her or your spirit doesn't. It doesn't matter how great a dad I am. I cannot bring her to life. And one day she came into my room and said, Dad, you were right. The Holy Spirit was not in me, but now he is. And she talked about how near she now was to God and how everything had changed. And, and he said, my wife and I were skeptical. We wanted to see, like, evidence of a change in her life. But now, 18 months later, he wrote, I can say she really is a new creation. I didn't do that, he wrote. It was the Holy Spirit. And, and, and this is why we don't give up hope. We're realistic. This spiritual, this battle is, is spiritual. It's not personal. It's not caving in on ourselves. It's not saying, well, it must be my fault. Listen, there's a spiritual battle, but the Holy Spirit is the one who can open people's eyes. I had a mom in this church. I knew her son. Uh, he was near my age when we were in high school together. She attends Central right now. And for most of his adult life, he walked away from the Lord. But she was telling me here just a few weeks ago, she said, she said, my son called me a while back and said, I can't do this anymore. And he came back to Jesus after 40 years. I want to tell you, we're not going to lose heart. 
We're in a spiritual battle, but we've got a great warrior fighting on our behalf. Don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on your neighbors. Don't give up on your situation. Don't let the world put you in a demeaned mold that just makes you discouraged all the time. Oh, there's just a few of us. Oh, Christianity doesn't seem to be winning the day anymore in America. I want to tell you, Jesus is King of Kings, and He has poured out His Spirit, and He is on the move. And this battle, it's not your battle. It's a spiritual battle, and Jesus won it 2,000 thousand years ago at the cross and he's not done we don't personalize this stuff but we get to lean on the power of the holy spirit and that's why that's why it's okay for us to be unimpressive in fact here's how i here's how i paraphrase paul he, he says he says we, we we don't lose heart because you know it's okay it's really okay in the midst of this battle to feel frail, to be frail. And uh, when I think it's not okay to feel weak, <laughs> personally, and to feel frail, when I have this pressure that everything's got to be perfect in, me, in my life for God to do everything right in me, um, then I can really lose heart because I, I get really discouraged with myself sometimes. But look at what Paul says. Verse 6, next verse. For God said, who said, let light shine out of darkness. That's what he said in creation in Genesis 1. For that same God who said, let light shine out of darkness. He made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus. The world's blinded to that in this spiritual battle. But he has given us the God of creation who said, let there be light. He's given us the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But... And this contrast is, is, is powerful and it's intentional. But we have this treasure of the revelation of Jesus and the glory of God. We have this treasure in jars of clay. And that's, by the way, not affirming to us. It's just realistic. He said, we have the glory of this. Not, you'd think God would craft fine china to contain the glory of his light and the reality of Jesus. But he said we have this in pots of clay, jars of clay. Why? To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now, pots of clay, jars of clay, were known, of course, for their general unattractiveness. Um, they were known for their durability, yes. They were known for common kitchen work. They were earthy. They were just clay. And they're also known for how easily they became chipped and cracked. If ever there's a verse that gives you a permission to be a crackpot, it's right here. <laughs> right here. I couldn't resist that. I like Brian Wilkerson's... Uh, perspective on this. I'll put the words on the screen. The church was never meant to be a china cabinet where precious pieces could be safely stored out of harm's way. The church was meant to be a working kitchen where, where, where well-worn pots are filled again and again to dispense their life-giving contents to a thirsty world. First of all, it's not about us being pretty classy and pretty good-looking. 
It's about the glory of Jesus in us for the sake of a very hungry and a very thirsty world. And it's not about, it's not about us having everything together. We look cracked. We, we get chipped in this battle. And, and it's okay to feel not that impressive because the pressure is not on us to be impressive. Do you notice what Paul said there? He said, we have this in, in jars of clay, verse 7 again, for, because this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. It, it's from God. This is about him. This is about strength, not our own. This is about not making, not me needing to feel for sufficient for everything, but it is about depending on the Holy Spirit. No wonder, there's no, there's no way we need to, to lose heart here because it's, it's, it's not... The pressure is not on us to be impressive. And God's greatness makes our insecurities, our chippedness, our crackness, God's greatness makes our insecurities, think about it, irrelevant. So what, you're insecure. It's the glory that fills the pot. It's not the pot. You know, I, I, I'm just being honest with you. Last year, pastoring a church through a pandemic, I had to fight insecurities like I, ha I probably haven't in, in a number of years because I felt like maybe what our congregation needed represented all the things that I'm not very good at. By God's grace, we've been making it through. But I have my fights with insecurities. You have your fights with insecurities. But listen, the glory that fills the pot, it's what's important. It's okay if you feel free. It's okay if you feel like, I'm not sure I've got what it takes for this moment. Listen, God's greatness makes your insecurities irrelevant. We, we are in pots of clay so that, so that the all-surpassing power is from God in, and not from us. We just got to keep getting that straight. And the more we get that straight, it's okay to feel weak sometimes. It's okay to feel insecure sometimes. But you keep your eyes on the glory and power of God and what he's doing. That's, that's the key of it all. So we don't, we, we don't, we don't lose heart. Because, you know, this battle is spiritual. It's not personal and and it's not about us being particularly impressive or our insecurities ruling today. It's about the glory of God that fills us and, and, and is so beautiful in contrast to what we bring to the table. And that means also that, that, that you know, that makes, that makes giving up not an option. It's not an option to give up. And that's why in the very next verse, in the very next verse, he says, we're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. You know, remember, we're in a spiritual battle, and um, it hurts, and it, it, it can play at every insecurity we have. We're just these chipped clay pots, but there's glory that God has set within us. And so... And so Paul says we're hard-pressed on every side. That's true. But we are not crushed. Imagine that, pressed but not crushed. We're perplexed. Boy, have I been perplexed a lot in my life. But not in despair. We're, we're persecuted. Like I was in that room. And I was literally all alone. Even my best friend joined the crowd making fun of me. I was all alone there in one way, but in another way, we're not abandoned. We, we may be persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We may be struck down, but we are not 
destroyed. And I want to tell you, because of the battle we're in, and because it's not us that's called on to be impressive, it's Him that wants to be glorious in our midst, in our lives. Because of that, we literally can live on both sides of that word, but. You, you can be hard-pressed. You can be perplexed. You can be persecuted. You can be struck down. But there's, there's something amazing in us by the power of God's Spirit that says giving up's not an option. Because although, although we're hard-pressed and perplexed and persecuted and struck down, at the same time, this can also be true of your life. You're not crushed. You're not despairing. You're not abandoned. And you're definitely not destroyed. This is true of you in Jesus. Even though you may feel deeply the left-hand side of that list, the right-hand side of that list is equally true. That's why giving up's not an option. You know, I say the word mediocre comes from two Latin words. One means middle and the other means mountain. It means you're halfway up the mountain and you give up. But we're not the people who only go halfway. I love Angela uh, Duckworth's, uh, Duckworth's book, which is simply called Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. In the foreword to that book, she writes about an ima imaginary conversation if she could go back in time and talk to her now deceased father. She would say, she, uh, I would say she writes, Dad, you say I'm no genius. Well, I won't argue with that. You, you know plenty of people that are smarter than I am. I, and I could just imagine his heading, head nodding and in agreement. But let me tell you something. I'm going to grow up to love my work as much as you love yours. I won't just have a job. I'll have a calling. I'll challenge myself every day. When I get knocked down, I'll get back up. I may not be the smartest person in the room, but I'll strive to be the grittiest. And if he was still listening, I'd add, in the long run, Dad, grit may matter more than talent. And she's now written a whole best-selling book proving that uh, analytically, that when it comes to talent, that it's not always the most definitive factor in a person. You don't reach your potential without grit. You, you make a decision. I'm not giving up. And this was the example of Jesus for you and me. Hebrews 12. Just let's jump over to Hebrews just for a minute. In verse 1, where he says, let's, let us run with grit. <laughs> let's let us run with perseverance. The race that's marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Not not on our, oh, I, I got another crack, or, or I've taken, I've kind of had another chip taken out of me in this battle, and, and I feel so uncertain. And maybe, maybe I, maybe I am losing heart. Maybe, maybe I'm just going to give up here. But look at the example of Jesus. Let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for you and me. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who's run ahead of us. He's given us footprints to walk in now. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, he scorned its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Thank God he didn't give up halfway. And I'm always amazed at the cross because Jesus at one point said, I could call 10,000 angels. And when you're being tortured with agonizing pain hour upon hour and yet you know you could stop it just like that 
I mean, what love for you and me. He said he did this for you, for the joy set before you, before him. What was that joy? It was that joy of being pleasing to his Father and of that joy of setting his glory in these crackpots of ours and becoming our life. And, and he, he persevered. He didn't go halfway. He didn't give up. He didn't lose heart on the cross because he had a picture of this living relationship with his church and the day that he's going to come back and transform his creation. I want to tell you, we don't need to give up. We don't need to lose heart because giving up is just not an option. We may be perplexed, we may be perplexed, we may be persecuted, we may be even struck down. But we are not destroyed. We're not abandoned. We're not in despair. We're not crushed. Listen, we never have grounds to lose heart. And Jesus has already gone the way before us. By the way, that's how you can come to know Jesus and have a relationship with him. It's not sprucing up your, your clay pot. It's, it's coming to him and saying, Jesus, you hung on that cross till all the work was done to die for my sin, to wash me clean. And then you rose from the dead and your resurrection spirit, the Holy Spirit, can open my eyes to you and give me new life. If, if you're here today and that, that has not been a moment in your life yet, today's your day. I just want to say, today's your day. Stop doing this on your own. I mean, your creator has hung on a cross to reach you, to change you, and to give you something that outlasts this world. And that's where he ends up. That's where he ends up, right here, in, back in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16. These are now the closing verses of it. And he says, we don't lose heart because in the midst of all of this, we have what I call an eternal perspective. I couldn't think of a more creative way to say that, but we just have an eternal perspective. In perspective, you know perspective, right? Like like the artist who saw the Grand Canyon and said, what an amazing uh, panorama to put on canvas. And the preacher who saw the Grand Canyon and said, what amazing display of the glory of God. And the cowboy who saw the Grand Canyon and said, oh, what a terrible place to lose a cow. <laughs> Perspective is what you have your, we've been saying this over and over, even through the worship time. What's your eyes on? What do you have your eyes on? And look what he says. Therefore, he says it again, verse 16, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. I mean, outwardly, I see some being pressed and some being persecuted and some being cast down. I mean, you know, it's not that impressive some days on the outside. Outside, he says, and this is not a lack of faith. This is just re gritty realism. On the outside, outwardly, we're wasting away. Yet inwardly, inwardly, we're going the other direction. Inwardly, we're being renewed. New courage every day. New strength. Not giving up. Uh, I'm not, per you know, the battle's not mine in the first place. So what? I feel a little frail today. Inwardly, I am being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us. And here's where perspective comes in. We don't look at it from the perspective of today, but we look at our lives from the perspective of eternity. From eternity's perspective, even the worst of the battle right now isn't, 
isn't that much to talk about compared to the glory that's awaiting us there. No wonder we don't lose heart. He said, this is why I don't lose heart. I was reading part of an article by Lee Stein in the New York Times. He wrote it just a few months ago. He entitled it, The Empty Religions of Instagram. In it, he was bemoaning the largely celebrity influencers in our culture that have millions of followers on social media. He describes their belief system as a combination of left-wing political orthodoxy, intersectional feminism, self-optimization, therapy, wellness, astrology, and a little Dolly Parton thrown in. And he was bemoaning how shallow the influencers in our culture are. And he says this, there is a chasm between the vast scope of our needs and what influencers can provide. We're looking for guidance in all the wrong places. And he himself admits, he's not a Christian, he himself admits, I have hardly prayed to God since I was a teenager. But the pandemic has cracked open inside of me a profound yearning for reverence and for humility and for awe. Let's read it again. We don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I want to tell you that word eternal, it wraps up reverence and humility and awe. There is something that we need of, an, of a beyond this life perspective to give us rationality about this life. And if you start looking for everything in this world to, to self-help and medicate and all of these things, and you decide to leave your creator out of the picture, you're going to end up empty. I, I so appreciate this guy's honesty. He said, to be, to be honest, I have this profound yearning for humility and reverence and awe in my life. And this is what Paul said. This is what we as followers of Jesus live with every day in eternal perspective. And so, last verse, we fix our eyes not on what's seen, but on what's unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We gotta just keep fixing our eyes. What, what you see in this world is not the lasting stuff. And it can some days brutalize you and make you feel pretty earthy and ordinary. But the eternal perspective says the glory of God by his spirit is at work. It's at work in me. It's at work in the people I'm praying for. I may get a little beaten up. I may get a little discouraged sometimes. But the glory of God is in this pot of clay that is me. And my insecurities are irrelevant because he's great. And he can do what he started to do. He is able. There is no one like him in heaven and on earth. So I'm not going to look at what I see. Everything I see is temporary. But the things that are not seen, God working in the invisible realm, relying on the Holy Spirit, even though I take some shots personally, even though I'm not sure what to do next, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, realizing that, that these light afflictions are nothing compared to the glory of God that is coming someday. I hope this is not just familiar rhetoric to your ears. I'm, I'm preaching very familiar scripture to us today. But may God help us to say, Lord, we're not losing heart. 
Why lose heart now? Why lose heart given the glory of God within our hearts? Will you stand with me? I'd like the worship team if you would come.